Well, uh, during the weeks leading up to Easter, we're looking at the final words of Jesus from the cross, and uh, we believe, as we said last week, that these words are important because Jesus went to extraordinary lengths to be able to share them. Uh, it wasn't easy for him to speak while hanging on the cross, but he wanted to get these words out, and we believe he did it because he wanted us to hear and remember and live out these words in our lives. Uh, we heard the first word of Jesus from the cross was really a prayer. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And not surprising to us that Jesus begins with a prayer because his entire life was built on prayer. And shouldn't surprise us that it was a prayer of forgiveness for others because Jesus lived his life focused on meeting the needs of others before his own. And he taught his followers about the power and freedom that comes with forgiveness. What's amazing is that in the second word from the cross, Jesus puts this prayer of forgiveness into action. The second word of Jesus from the cross was spoken to a man that was crucified with Jesus. And he said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. We know on that day he was crucified. He wasn't the only person executed. There were at least two others. On Jesus' right and left were two men who had been sentenced to die. And in both Matthew and Mark, these men are called lestes, which means armed robbers or bandits. But in Luke, there's a different word used here, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. You wouldn't be impressed even if I could get it right. Uh, But the Greek word here means... Those who do evil. And what's important about the difference is is that Luke is the only gospel that records a conversation that Jesus has with these two men. And by purposely using a more generic word to describe them, Luke is helping us to find a place in this story. Because for Luke, these two men represent all of us. The details of their crimes aren't important. What's important is that they're simply people who do evil, as he describes them. In other words, they are sinners just like you and I. And so Luke wants us to see ourselves in these two men and find our own place in this story. And so we're going to take a look at that story. And we're going to find in it that there are essentially two ways of how to respond to Jesus. Luke chapter 23 And we're going to read verses 35 through 43, Luke chapter 23, and we'll start with verse uh, 35. It says, The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? 
We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So we see there are two men who are crucified at the same time as Jesus, one on his left, one on his right, and it's obvious that they know something about Jesus, or at least by listening to the crowd shouting at Jesus, they've figured out why he's being executed. They understand that Jesus is being crucified because he claims to be the Messiah or the King of the Jews. But we see two possible ways to respond to Jesus. One of the men joins with the crowd, and we read that he begins to mock Jesus. Uh, Luke twenty-three thirty-nine. He, he's not genuinely looking to Jesus for help. He's mocking him. And so, just like the crowd that's gathered around the cross, he's making fun of Jesus, and he's adding to Jesus' pain and his humiliation by taunting him. And what is sad is that even as he's dying, this thief or this man is trying to fit in with the crowd around him. Even now, he's trying to find his value and his worth in the people who surround him instead of the God who is literally beside him. Think about that. Does that sound familiar? I think it does. Many times we fail to experience the power of God who is right beside us because we are seeking to find our validation or our salvation in the world around us. We look for meaning and security in the things of this world. And when we do, we're turning away from the one who offers us real life. And it's not just this man on the cross who's going along with the crowd and denying Jesus to find his security and his life. It's really no different than Peter. Just a few hours earlier, Peter had been hiding in the courtyard as Jesus was being tried by the religious leaders. And when the people in the courtyard asked Peter if he was one of Jesus' followers, Peter said, absolutely not. In that moment, Peter was looking to fit in with the crowd. He was looking for his security and the people around him instead of finding strength in the God who was standing before him. It's easy for us to shake our heads at Peter or this thief on the cross, but we do the same. We look to our own security, our own methods to find that instead of God himself. We're like the man on the cross who looks to the world for life and meaning more than we look to God. And so that man represents one way to respond to Jesus. But fortunately, there's another man who's hanging there with Jesus. And this other man crucified that day, uh, keep in mind, is also described as a man who, like us, does evil. He also understands who Jesus is. He also hears the taunts of the people around him. But instead of joining in with the crowd and putting Jesus down, he confesses his sin and he asks Jesus for forgiveness. Look again at Luke 23, 40 and 41. It says, But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so this morning, for us, 
if we can enter into this story, which thief on the cross are you more like? Because these two thieves illustrate that there are two ways to respond to Jesus. And first of all, will you acknowledge your sinfulness or deny it? Because this is our choice too. Uh, We can minimize, we can rationalize, we can compare ourselves to others, uh, but these are all different ways to deny that we are sinful and that we deserve punishment. And we can do that. Or we can honestly acknowledge our sinfulness like one of the thieves. And so the question for us is, do we acknowledge our sinfulness or do we try to deny it in some way? Secondly, he says here, don't you fear God? Meaning, this man beside us is God. Don't you recognize it? How can you mock or belittle him? Again, two different responses to Jesus. But you and I have the same choice. Will we recognize him for who he truly is? Or will we belittle him or minimize him? And so the second man confesses his sin. He says, we're being punished justly. In other words, we've done evil. We are sinners. But then he seeks forgiveness by turning and asking Jesus to remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's interesting. These words, remember me, are really a prayer for forgiveness and salvation here. And you see that as you look through the Bible in the Old Testament when God remembered people he delivered them from evil. Genesis 8.1, God remembered Noah, which meant that God saved Noah and his family and the animals by bringing them through the flood. Genesis 30, 22 and 23, God remembered Rachel, the wife of Jacob, who had been barren for many years. So when God remembered Rachel, it meant he delivered her from barrenness and gave her a child. He gave her life. In Exodus 2, 24 and 25, it says that God remembered his promise to Abraham. And so God set into motion the plan to rescue or deliver his people who were living as slaves in Egypt. So when this man on the cross asks Jesus to remember him, he's asking Jesus to forgive him and to rescue him and to deliver him. Not from physical death, because that was coming no matter what, but to save him for the life that's to come. And notice in response, Jesus says, without any kind of hesitation or qualification, absolutely. Absolutely. This might be one of the most powerful scenes in the Bible because it shows us exactly what the grace and the mercy of God look like. And so this morning... Will we recognize it? Will we respond to Jesus in the same way? Because as I said, these are two ways to respond to Jesus. We can be honest about our sin, or we can deny it. We can recognize who Jesus truly is, or belittle belittle Him. And depending on your choice with those things, that will either lead you to ask for deliverance, or to face death alone. Which choice will you make? Which thief will you be more like? Maybe you don't like being compared to a thief this morning. I'm sorry. But this is what Luke is doing. He's putting us into the story. We're the sinners. And so 
But we do have a choice of which one we want to be like, which is the good news. But notice this man hanging on the cross. He, he has nothing to offer Jesus. He can't improve his life. He can't go out and lead a better life. He can't show Jesus just how serious he is about following him. There is absolutely nothing this man can do to earn his salvation or to show how deserving he is of God's mercy. This man has nothing to give Jesus. Absolutely nothing. All he does is ask Jesus for mercy, and Jesus gives it to him without any questions. And notice Jesus doesn't ask the man if he's serious about his sin or turning away from it. He doesn't ask him what he believes about God or the Bible or any doctrine of faith. Jesus simply reaches out to him in love and says, Today you will be with me. It's amazing. This word of Jesus on the cross, I think, is an example of what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. When he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus offers this man salvation not because he's earned it or done anything to deserve it, and he can't make up for his sin by going out and living a faithful life. He can't do anything. Um, he, He literally cannot do anything except for bleed and die. And yet Jesus saves him. Jesus hears the cry of his heart and saves him. This is what the love of God looks like for all of us. This is what mercy and forgiveness looks like for all of us. God doesn't forgive us because we're worthy of it. He doesn't forgive us because we've earned it or because God expects us to work it off with a life of service. Salvation is a gift from God, and it comes to us when, like this man, we simply reach out to Jesus and we ask for mercy. And when we do that, God forgives us. When we simply turn to Him and say, God, remember me. And He does. He does. Luke points out that these two, these two men, because they not only represent all of us as sinners, but they also show us that only two responses, these two responses that we can make to God's gift of mercy and love. While God is willing to forgive us all, God can only forgive those who are willing to receive it. God can only save those who are willing to turn to Jesus and say, even though I'm a sinner... Even though there's nothing good in me, even though there's nothing I can do to repay you, Jesus, please remember me. Save me. And to that request, Jesus says yes. He says that to a man on a cross without hesitation, today you will be with me in paradise. Very interesting, this word for paradise here. It's actually a word that refers to the garden of a king. This is going to be popular with some of you gardeners here this morning. It refers to the garden of a king. Because in ancient Persia, the palaces of kings often had within them a walled garden filled with the most beautiful and exotic plants and animals that could be found. And that same tradition continues in our day. Uh, There are Persian gardens in our day representing paradise. 
Uh, You might say it was the king's own Garden of Eden, a place of incredible beauty and life and peace. And so to be invited into the king's garden was a great honor. It was reserved only for the most privileged guest. And so when Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise, it was an invitation to join Jesus in the garden of the king, the garden of God, the true garden of Eden, which would be heaven. While the Bible doesn't talk a lot about what heaven is like, uh, this one word from Jesus helps us understand that in many ways, heaven will be a place of incredible beauty and everlasting life. Heaven will be like the Garden of Eden, which when God created it, was a place of perfection. And so that's something for us to look forward to. That's the hope that's planted in our hearts We're not sure what it's going to look like, but we know it's going to be beyond our greatest imagination. So when Jesus invites this man into the garden, he's opening the door or the gate for all of us to enter in. And so the question for you this morning is, how will you respond? Will you accept the invitation into the garden? Will you place your faith and your trust in Jesus and find life? Or, like the other man... Will you reject Jesus and continue to try to find the fullness of life in the things around you? Because this is the clear contrast that we see in this scene. One man looked to the world for life, and one looked to Jesus. And the one who looked to Jesus, the one who reached out to Jesus, was invited into the fullness of life, which is found in the presence of and in the garden of God. Now, While the fullness of life will only be found completely in the garden that's to come or in heaven, we can begin to experience that life here and now. It's not all by and by, you know, someday in the sky. We can begin to experience it today. In John 10.10, Jesus said that he came into the world and into our lives so that we might have life and have it abundantly. And he wasn't just talking about heaven and eternal life. He was talking about experiencing the peace and the power of that life right here and now. And so again, think about this man on the cross. When he knows that Jesus has invited him into paradise, that heaven has opened up to him, there must have been a peace and an assurance there that he experienced, even in the midst of the pain of his crucifixion. Moments before, he had no hope at all. Now he has hope. And this is what Jesus offers us here and now. All of our pain and problems do not go away. But through them, we can experience peace and the assurance of a future with God and hope. All of this and so much more can be ours when we reach out to God and ask for His help. And if we do that, just like one of the thieves on the cross, it does lead us to a fourth choice. And I'm including this, even though this was a choice the thieves didn't have, because obviously they died. But you and I, we get the opportunity to respond to Jesus after He has remembered us, after He has delivered us. And so in response to Jesus, will we remember others in need or ignore? Will we after we have asked Jesus to remember us and received 
his forgiveness and life? Will we remember others? Because there are others who need that life as well. Will we remember them or will we ignore them? First word from Jesus was a prayer of forgiveness for others. And the second word was Jesus putting that prayer into action. Jesus offers forgiveness and mercy to an evil man, a sinner who had been condemned to die. And if all that wasn't powerful enough, think about this. Jesus' first words to a person from the cross were not to his beloved disciple John. They weren't to his mother Mary, but they were to an individual who is described as an evildoer and an outcast. As we think about it, it probably shouldn't surprise us because this is how Jesus lived his life. Reaching out to offer forgiveness to sinners and to love people that others just wanted to toss aside. And in fact, Jesus was criticized for reaching out to the least likely people around and for associating with sinners. He got into trouble for healing lepers, for calling despised tax collectors to follow him, and for allowing well-known prostitutes to wash his feet with their hair. Jesus spent much of his life reaching out to sinners and offering them mercy. So it probably shouldn't surprise us that Jesus is dying the same way that he lived, sharing his first words from the cross to a sinner condemned to die and an evildoer. And so the question for us this morning is, are we willing to live the way Jesus lived? Are we willing to live the way that Jesus died? As we mentioned last week, Jesus said if we want to follow him, we have to be willing to take up our cross And part of what that means is living out these words that Jesus spoke from the cross. So will we offer God's love in his life to to someone else that no one else wants to reach out to? Will we give ourselves to help make sure that those who feel condemned will know that they are valued and loved by God? According to Luke 19.10, part of Jesus' mission was to seek out and save the lost and to invite people to the king's garden or paradise. And so is that part of your mission as well? Are we willing to give our time and energy and even sacrifice ourselves to help those who are searching for or reaching out to Jesus? might mean reaching out to, to people who are very different than us. People who are unloved or maybe uncared for by the world around us. It might mean placing ourselves in situations that we're uncomfortable with. It might require us to give more than we want to. Are we willing to do that? Have we made this a part of our life's mission? Because we know that Jesus has remembered us. It was one of Jesus' final words from the cross. And so how will we respond to Jesus? Again, there's essentially two ways. You can acknowledge acknowledge your sinfulness or deny it. You can recognize who he truly is or belittle him or minimize him. You can ask him for deliverance or face death and eternity alone. And if God has remembered you, you can choose to respond by remembering others in need. Or you can ignore them. Two ways to respond.